Well, good morning. And I would say welcome to First Baptist Church, but that wouldn't be appropriate. But, but welcome to our live streamed service that we're doing for the first time. And, and uh, this is not ideal and not uh, what we're used to. But we're thankful that because of technology and that uh, we live in an age where we can, we can do this sort of thing. And, and so uh, just a few things I want to share with you as we begin this morning. Uh, first of all, because of the governor's stay-at-home order, um, that for today and for at least two more Sundays that we won't be able to meet here at our church. Uh, we'll live stream our service just like this. And, and just so you know, we did, get, um, we did get verification through the Illinois Baptist State Association that, that it is permissible for us to meet here and do a live stream service from our church building and not be in violation of the governor's order. So we're, we don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody and think we're just kind of being renegades and just doing that anyway, because we're not. I uh, also want to let you know that for those of you who are church members, uh, please let us know about needs you might have right now. Let your deacons know and others. Uh, we want to be sure that we're ministering to you in the right way. And and um, our food pantry, as, as far as we know, will be open on Tuesday. So spread the word about that to those in the community. And uh, members, if you need that, that's there for you as well. So be sure and let us know. Uh, one particular prayer request I want to let you know about this morning is uh, Brandon Leach's mother, Amelia, is in very serious condition in, uh, I believe, in Nashville, Tennessee, in a hospital. And in fact, her husband is not allowed to go in and see her because of all the things going on uh, related to coronavirus and all the precautions. So um, Brandon and Crystal uh, are actually uh, arrived, uh, if everything went well, they arrived last night in Evansville and flown back, and they've started their furlough early. And so they're with uh, Mandy and Gary, and uh, just keep them in prayer. And... Um, and we'll lift them up this morning. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Almighty God, You're the sovereign God, the one true and living God. We know that every good and perfect gift come down, comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation, no shadow, no changing. That we know that nothing takes You by surprise. And it can always be trusted because of what You've already done for us through Jesus. And so as we are not able to physically meet together, but still able to hear the Word together this morning, we rejoice in the truth of the Gospel. And Father, I ask now that as we are in our homes, whether we're by ourselves or with family members, Father, I pray that we would know that You're right there with us, Lord. That You'd be with the one that's feeling really lonely right now and not able to get out much, and that they would know that You care about them. Lord, be with a church member that, that doesn't have internet. They're not able to even participate in this way with us today. And maybe an extra sense of loneliness and, and uh, disconnection from the rest of us, God. Father, we ask You to be this morning with our health care workers in our community and really all around the world, but we pray for Mount Carmel, Wabash area in particular, and the extra stress that's laid upon some of them and Concerns about medical supplies and, and just precautions they need to be taking right now. 
We ask God that you be with them and their families. Be with the local job businesses and folks affected. I know there's some members in our church already that whose hours have been cut because of because of everything that's going on. And so, God, we pray that you'd be with them and that their needs would be met and we could be a, a means of meeting those needs if it be your will. Well, we do pray for Brandon's mother, Amelia, that you'd be with her and that you'd bring healing to her body, God. And we pray that you'll be with Brandon and Crystal and their family as they're resting from a lot of traveling here just in the, over the past several hours from Argentina. So, God, we pray for them and that you'd let them have a sense of your presence and Lord, in the midst of all that's going on with the, this coronavirus, there's a lot of things that people are dealing with. There's still marriages that are hurting. There's still people being tempted with sin. There's still other kinds of sickness that people are struggling with. And some of that all, maybe it gets overshadowed because of everything else that's going on with COVID-19. Father, we pray that you would heal where it's needed and mend where it's needed, Lord, and provide where it's needed right now in whatever situation it might be. Lord, be with families that are adjusting right now and particularly uh, families with children who are in the public schools and private schools, Lord, are at home now for an extended period of time. Be with these families, they adjust and, and adjust to being with each other more, adjust their schedules. And, and then, Father, we pray for the lost. It's our desire as a church family that everybody in the Mount Carmel, Wabash County area where, where you have us, that they would hear the gospel. So Father, Father, be with us as we seek to be very intentional to take the gospel and reclaim the gospel, Lord. Even, even right now, Lord, help us to look for ways not only to serve one another, but to make the most of the gospel as we talk to others and interact with them. So Lord, now we come before you and we pray for our world. We pray for Italy that's been pounded with this virus and is up to over 600 died yesterday in one particular region of Italy. We pray for the church there and all, all over the place, Lord, that the church would be the church. We pray for Zagreb, Croatia, not too far from Sarajevo, Bosnia, where we go on mission trips where there was a largest earthquake in 140 years took place today. God be with them as they are rattled by that, literally. And, and Father, we pray for them spiritually that to make them more open and receptive to the gospel. So Lord, now we, we ask you to bless our singing. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yet it's time to stand up to read the scripture, right? And you can do that if you'd like in the honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 27 is where I'm going to be preaching from this morning. Matthew chapter 27. And I'll begin reading at verse 1 and we'll go through verse 26. So take a minute and if you haven't got your Bible out already, go find it. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 through 26. You kids that are watching with your families this morning, you'd be good for your parents now. I know it's a little bit different. You'd be a little restless. Uh, I can't see you, but the Lord does. <laughs> Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put Him to death. And they bound Him and led Him away to be delivered and delivered Him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas his betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned, 
He changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. Verse 7. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear now many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy they had delivered him up. Besides, while, he's, while, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray together again. We read about your son's betrayal and arrest and his trial, his rejection by his own people. We sense that we walk upon holy ground. Familiar to us, Lord, we've many of us who are grown up in the church, we've heard this story and these details many times. But Father, the weightiness of what took place then and what Your Word teaches us about it, may it not be too familiar to us, Lord. May it grab our hearts and affect us, pointing us to the ultimate hope because of what 
took place. So we ask your Holy Spirit to help us understand these words, God. We ask your Holy Spirit to stir us. And let us know again that these words are true. We ask these things for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the midst of your social distancing this week, I imagine a lot of people that are able to are spending a lot of time on social media. I get on there every once in a while. I don't think social media is sinful, but it can be. It can be a good thing and a bad thing too. But what you don't need this morning is another meme. Is that what they're called, memes or memes? I don't know. Memes? Memes. Thanks for the clarity, Ryan. You don't need another meme about the coronavirus. You don't need another GIF. Is that what that's called, a GIF? G-I-F, GIF. Uh, you don't need another ju- joke about toilet paper or another cynical remark or another statistic. But what we need this morning, what you need, what I need, is we need to be reminded of our hope in the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that we're supposed to be ready to give a defense, to make a defense for the reason that, uh, for the reason, to give a reason for the hope that's in us. So, if we're going to give a reason for the hope that's in us, we didn't know what that hope is. And when we look at this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, there's not just a reason here. There's there's actually three reasons just in Matthew twenty-seven for the hope that's in us. In First Baptist Church, that's watching this morning, listening later on. We need to be ready to share the reason for the hope that's in us. And it might be by going out and buying somebody's groceries and them saying, well, why would you offer to do that for me? Why would you risk infection by going and getting me groceries and bringing them to me? You don't know me that well. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you where my hope is at. When folks come to the food pantry on Tuesday and we bring food out to their cars so we don't risk infection. And they say, why are y'all still open? Aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned? Then we can say, because we have a hope that's in us. It's in Jesus Christ. When the kids are home and things are getting a little bit cramped and we're feeling cabin fever over the next few days, and folks ask us how, how we're doing by a phone call or on social media rather than complaining and griping. Maybe we can share it's tough. But we're persevering and we're moving on because of the hope that's in us. When you're feeling the financial burden like some of our church members already are or concerned about, somebody says, how you going to make it? Well, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. But I know this. There's a hope that I have in Jesus Christ that that doesn't, doesn't change because of any virus or any other circumstance in the world. There's a hope that's in me. The hope of Jesus Christ is a hope that's sure and steadfast and unchanging.
So in God's providence, we're back in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. I thought maybe I should preach something different. And I thought, no, for now, we'll stay in the Gospel of Matthew and see how in God's providence He has these words before us to remind us of the hope we have in Jesus. So I want to share with you this morning three reasons for the hope that's in us as believers. Maybe you're not a believer this morning and and I want to plead with you. Put your hope and trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is found. Well, three reasons for the hope that's in us based on this passage of Scripture. And one is we have hope because of the humble obedience of Jesus. We're going to find all our hope is in Jesus. And one of the reasons all our hope is in Jesus is we have hope because of the humble obedience of Jesus. If you look back in your Bible in verse 75 of Matthew chapter 26, who do you see there? What's he doing? It's Peter. And Peter is weeping. The rooster is crowed. Peter has denied Jesus three times. And Peter went out, it says in chapter 26, verse 75, and he wept bitterly. There's Peter weeping bitterly. Is there any hope for Peter? Is there any hope for lying, denying, presumptuous Peter? Well, look at chapter 27, verse 1. Look at chapter 27, verse 1, and notice what it says. When morning came, when morning came, Jesus took off. He called 12,000 angels to take him away. Is that what he says? No. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away. That's what it says. When morning came, Jesus is still there. We have hope because of the obedience of Jesus. Jesus is still there in the morning. Peter's weeping late in the morning, but early in the morning, Jesus is still there. There's hope for Peter. Because Jesus is still there in the morning. It says in verse 2, they bound Him and they led Him away. He was still there the next morning, see? They're leading Him away. They're, They're binding Him. He has the power. He has the strength for that not to happen. They bind Him. They lead Him away to be tried by Pilate, the Roman governor, and then crucified as our final Passover lamb. He's still there the morning after Peter denied him three times. He's bound. He's being led away so that his blood might be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins just like he had said that evening before in the upper room. He's still there. That's why we have hope. That's why Peter has hope. Jesus is still there. He's not run away. He's still there. Ready to drink the full brunt of the undiluted wrath of God. And later, when the Roman Pilate governor asked him in verse 11, Are you the king of the Jews? What does Jesus say? Are you looking at your Bible? Verse 11, the end of it. Jesus said, You have said so. That wasn't some in-between answer to kind of, I'm not saying yes and I'm not saying no. If you look back in chapter 26, Look back in chapter 26. 
says Jesus in verse 63. Jesus remained silent when they were testifying against him. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. What was he saying? He was saying yes. And then he goes on and says, but I tell you from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You said so. And so now the Roman governor says, tell us if you're the king of the Jews. You said so. Yes, I'm the king. And I'll know, although, as he had said to the chief priest, one day Jesus knew that he would come back in his glory with his holy angels. Still, when morning came, he had still not called 12,000 legions of angels like he said to Peter when Peter had drawn his sword the night before. He was still there. He still wasn't calling for angels to come and deliver him. He was still there. Is there hope for Peter? Is there hope for weeping Peter who denies Jesus three times? He's still there. We have hope because of the humble obedience of Jesus. There's Peter weeping over his line and denying Christ. The one who had once said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Had just said, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. There's Peter weeping bitterly in the last verse of chapter 26. But his tears cannot remove his guilt. Is there any hope for such a man? But Jesus is still there in the morning. Amen. Bound, about to be delivered over to the Roman governor Pilate. Peter's weeping, but Jesus has not changed his mind about Peter. Peter is still the rock upon which he will build his church. And all those who profess that kind of faith in Jesus. The hound of heaven will overtake his prey. He will overtake the one he pursues, and such is Peter, and such are all his elect. He will have those he's after. And the gates of hell are powerless to do anything about it. He will build his church. And oh, what a mockery! What a mockery the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, will make of His enemies. They mock Him now. They slap Him. They punch Him. They spit in His face. And they say, prophesy you Christ. They take up counsel, the Scripture says, to put Him to death in verse 1. You see that at the end of verse 1? But oh, do they realize that what they take counsel to do, that God has planned and ordained before the foundation of the world? That Do they understand that what they perceive to be foolishness, a man, a savior, a king on a cross, is actually the wisdom of God? For through Jesus' humble obedience, for, for through Jesus' death, He'll take weeping Peter and doubting Thomas and struggling moms and quarantined COVID-19 believers in their homes and rebellious teens and He'll save them through the preaching of that cross. He will build His church. He'll cause them to be born again. and He'll build His church. I like that song we were singing just now because of the cross. My value fixed, my ransom paid.
at the cross. I have hope because of the humble obedience of Jesus. Not because of my obedience. Peter couldn't say one day, not because of his obedience. It's because of the humble, perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope because of the humble obedience of Jesus. So you see, we have hope. There's hope for weeping Peter and there's hope for us. There's hope for us doubters and weepers and weepers over our sins that we stumbled right into again this week. We have hope because of the humble obedience of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 says, Church, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's because of his obedience that we're made right with God. Jesus, as we sang this morning, Jesus paid it all. His obedience is why we have hope, not ours. But for some... You see, there's a contrast in this passage of Scripture. But for some, there really is no hope. Enter Judas in the scene. You see Judas? Do you see the 30 pieces of silver lying on the floor of the temple? That's what the Scripture tells us here. Verse 5. He's walked into the chief priest in verse 3 and 4. and He said, here's your money back. Here's your 30 pieces of silver. I've sinned, it says in verse 4, by betraying innocent blood. And they say, what's, what's that to us? See to it yourself. You're feeling bad because you did this. You're feeling remorse, Judas. What's, why should we care? And he throws out the money. And do you see his body later hanging on a tree? Acts tells us his bowels gushed out. So somehow... Perhaps the rope broke or something like that, but his bowels gushed out. What a sight it would have been. Verse 5, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. There's Judas. Hopeless Judas. Some would say about Judas in reading this, you know, he comes in and he says Jesus is innocent. He seems to show remorse. Did Judas repent? No, he didn't repent. Some would say that we know Judas didn't repent because he committed suicide. Because the logic goes that if you commit suicide, then you don't have time to confess your sin. You know, and you're committing a sin and therefore you die and you can't confess it and therefore you go to hell. Well, that's not good logic either because we're saved by Jesus' obedience and what He does on the cross. And so, let's be clear. There's a lot of misinformation out there and I've been asked this question many times as a pastor. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. There are people that find them play, themselves in these places. A friend of mine I went to high school with um, went, by, went in the barn behind our house in Tennessee and hung himself, climbed up on the rafters of the loft and put a rope around his neck and hung himself. He was hopeless. I remember being in Kansas City, a young pastor, and going to the 
KU Hospital on the Kansas side. I'd gotten a call about some family in our church. Uh, one of their relatives, an 18-year-old, had shot himself. And I was trying to get there to the hospital to be with this family. I didn't know this family. I, I knew the family they're related to in our church. And doctors wouldn't tell me where they're at because of HIPAA laws and so forth. And finally somebody said, just, just see those people over there, just follow those people. And so I finally got the hint and followed those people. And as I walked, here come a gurney with some nurses. The family was in the waiting room that way, but the gurney was coming this way with a young man's body on it with these nurses. And I remember, we'll forget, this nurse was just crying. And, and I, looked, I, just, I looked down and saw this 18-year-old boy. And I could see where the bullet hole had entered into his body. He, he was hopeless. He'd come to a hopeless point. Does that mean that there's no hope for that person's soul? No. I'm getting on a tangent, but I think it's important to understand. And I'm going to tell you why. We're saved because of Jesus' obedience. Because of His once-for-all work. I was preaching at a church in Tennessee. First sermon I ever preached. Not a sermon you want to hear. <laughs> I was 21 years old, and I, for some reason in the sermon I'd said something about suicide not being the unpardonable sin. Because I was preaching about people can't lose your salvation. And a man named Sam, an older gentleman in the church I never talked to much, his small, small country church, came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes and took me out to the cemetery behind the, the church. He said, I want to show you something. And then he pointed at this tombstone. And I could tell by the date on the tombstone that it was someone who had died when they were in their, they were a young person, in their teens, perhaps. He told me his son had killed himself. And Sam told me with tears in his eyes, he said, I've been told all my life, thought all my life, that there was no hope for him, that because he took his own life, that he really wasn't, he couldn't have been saved. And I said, well, Sam, I'm so sorry, but yeah, the, we're not saved by we're saved by what Christ did. If he was a true believer, yes, there's hope. But for some people, there is no hope. Some people are like Judas. Some people are like Judas who've been exposed to the gospel. They've heard the things of God, and they've said no. I don't want it. I want nothing of it. And they may have remorse, but they do not have repentance. Judas seems to be like what we find in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. It's impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Judas seems to be as one of these who've been exposed to truth. They've seen the work of God amongst Himself. And He finally said, I don't want it! It's impossible to renew such a one to repentance. Joshua Harris, who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, I found him among my books in the basement this weekend. Another book he had written, Dug Down Deep. 
given to me at a conference I went to a couple years ago and I opened up that book because Joshua Harris says he's no longer a Christian, which means he never was a Christian. And I opened up the page and the dedication page of this book and dug down deep was a, was a dedication to his family, to his children, and how much he loved them and saying there's nothing more I want for you than to love Jesus and walk with Jesus. And within a few years later after writing that, he's walked away from the Jesus that he says he loves. All we can do is my small group has talked about that meets on Mondays as we went through First John is pray for such a one that what they say with their lips is not true about what's happened in their heart. That perhaps they're saying this, they have doubts and going through some confusion right now, but but perhaps inside they truly haven't once for all said they don't want Jesus. So we pray. But beloved, I felt led to talk about that because that issue is in the text, but it's a reminder to us not to be presumptuous, to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith, to be sure that that we've actually repented and trusted in Jesus. We've not just, you know, went through the motions of salvation, but and and we've been remorseful perhaps like Judas or or we've went to church like Judas or hung out with Christians like Judas, but we've actually repented and we're we're repenting now. We're trusting in Jesus now. It's a call for us to persevere in faith, to endure our quarantine or whatever circumstances come along. But the big picture here is not about suicide. This is not what this text is about. The big picture here has, has something to more, do to, more to do with what happened to Judas. And it re- leads to the second reason we have hope. We have hope not only because of the obedience of Jesus, we have hope because of the plan fulfilled by Jesus. We have hope because of the plan fulfilled by Jesus. And if you look in chapter 27, verse 9, you'll see about the field of blood that's bought with the blood money. He say, it says, Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Well, this was in fulfillment. What Judas did had been was a fulfillment of Scripture. It leads us back to the question again, did Judas really repent? And how can we know that? Well, we look in chapter 26, verse 24. It probably helps us best with that answer. Chapter 26, verse 24, when Judas said, Is it I? Am I the one that's betrayed you? And Jesus said, You see, you have said. And it says in verse 24 of chapter 26, The Son of Man goes as is it written of Him. As it is written of Him. This betrayal was planned by God. As it is written of Him. The Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That's said of Judas. And if that's said of Judas, then I don't see how we could reconcile what Jesus says here with saying that Jesus truly repented later on. But again, the big picture here is Jesus said there, and as it says in verse 9 of the text we're looking at, it was fulfilled. It said in chapter 26, verse 24, it is written of Him. The big picture here is there's a plan that's being fulfilled. This is Matthew's emphasis here. This is what he wants to see. This has all been planned by God. And Jesus was fulfilling it. We have hope because he of His humble obedience which fulfills the plan of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 16 talks about Judas. It says this, Brothers, the Scripture, Peter stands up and now they're, they're minus a disciple, right? The day of Pentecost has taken place. Peter stands up. Now he's not denying. Now he's emboldened and he stands up. He says, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. 
which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. The Scripture had to be fulfilled. And so the big picture here, really, these verses we're looking at in Matthew chapter 27 is this. We have hope because Jesus fulfilled a plan of God because of His obedience again. Let me ask you a question before I move on. What is the worst sin in the history of the universe? Many things we could think about that might put in the blank to an extent. But the answer is the worst sin in the universe is the one we're reading about right here in this text. And it's not merely the betrayal of Judas, of Judas, of Jesus, or the handing over of Jesus to the chief priest. It's, it all culminates and leads to the crucifixion of Christ. It's the death of Jesus on the cross. And this was ordained by God. It was the plan of God, the worst sin that ever took place in the universe was planned by God before the foundation of the world. And men are, did it willfully and are responsible. Oh, beloved, if God so planned the worst thing that could ever happen in the universe at the cost of His Son for us, and Jesus fulfilled that plan, would we possibly now think that God who ordained the death of His Son for our sins is not now sovereign over every microscopic molecule floating around in the universe? Would we not now trust Jesus who fulfilled God's ordained plan and gave us the hope of salvation? Would we not now trust Him and trust that He's working out His plans in the midst of our financial stress or our loneliness or our extra time with kids and family? Would we not now trust Him? Has He not proven Himself trustworthy? We have hope because Jesus fulfilled the plan of salvation. We have hope because of Jesus' obedience. And thirdly and finally, we have hope because of the innocent blood of Jesus. We have hope because of the innocent blood of Jesus. Why has God given us these details about the death of Jesus? Look in verse 4. There's several things I want us to go back and look at and see quickly. Verse 4 saying, Jesus, Judas said this about Jesus when he brought the money back. I've sinned, he says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. You see that? Innocent blood. Verse 6, look at verse 6. The chief priest said, it's none of our business. What are we going to do with this money he brought back? We're just not going to leave it laying on the temple floor. So they get the money. We can't put it back in the treasury. Let's, because of why? What's verse 6 say? It is Blood money. What are they saying about this money? This money has been used in an unjust way to shed blood. They're, they're telling on themselves here. Judas says it's innocent blood. And verse 8 says, they take the money. And verse 8 says, they have bought a field to bury strangers in. And they call it the field of blood. In fulfillment of Scripture. What I want you to see is, if Judas hadn't given back the 30 pieces of silver, there would be no field of blood. Does that make sense? If he don't give back the 30 pieces of silver, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't be a field of blood. But it says, there is a field of blood to this day. So in Matthew's time, some people think it's in the Valley of Hinnom today where it's at, but they knew where it was. Everybody in Jerusalem said, oh, that's a field of blood. That's where they bury strangers. 
And it reminds them of the story of Judas. And if they know enough, it should remind them that Judas, that blood was, that field was purchased because Judas had remorse because Judas felt like Jesus was actually innocent. So every time a stranger, do you see the funeral detail coming down with a stranger's body? They're getting ready to bury somebody in the field of blood. Every time there's a, there's a pallbearer's coming with the body to, of someone to bury in the field of blood, it's a reminder of the innocent blood of Jesus. It's a testimony of the innocent blood of Christ. That He was an innocent man. Then if you keep reading the details of the rest of the passage of Scripture of Jesus' trial before the Roman governor Pilate, it says in verse 18, Pilate himself testifies to it. Verse 18, look, for he knew that it was out of envy they had delivered him up. Why had they delivered up Jesus, the Jews? Because Jesus had done something wrong? Was he guilty of anything? No, it was out of, he knew, see what it says? He knew it was out of envy. Then look at verse 19. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Notice the word in that verse 19, the first word of verse 19. Are you looking at your Bible? The first word of verse 19. Besides, God, the Holy Spirit, inspires Peter, inspires Matthew to write the word. Besides, in addition to the fact that Pilate knew this, that it was out of envy, besides, his own wife came to him. Look at verse 19, the end of Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. And then, as, they, as he takes before him Barabbas, that's who they want. That's the kind of king they want. Get rid of what they can see that's causing them trouble. The virus they can see, which is the Romans around them. But they don't understand there's something more deadly than the virus of the Romans around them. It's this, this virus of sin in their body that Jesus came to get rid of. But they, but they want the immediate, what they see affecting them most. And so they say, let Him be crucified. Why? Well, what's He done? Let Him be crucified. Look at verse 23 and what's Pilate say? And he said, why? What evil has he done? Do you see what the Holy Spirit is calling to our attention here? It's the innocence of Christ. The guiltlessness of Jesus. What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so, Pilate, oh, is it all right? Gets him a bowl of water. Starts washing off his hands in verse 24. Look at the end of verse 24. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd. Want everybody to see this? I am innocent of this man's blood. Why does he say that? Seeking to absolve himself, but he can't. Peter's tears couldn't take away his guilt. Judas' remorse couldn't take away his guilt. And Pilate's washing of his hands couldn't take away his guilt. There's nothing we can do to take away our guilt. But when he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood, he's doing that because he knows this man's innocent. And they say, His blood be on us and on our children. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that he be an innocent man? Because we are not. Because they were not. Because we are not. Look at verse 15. They come to him and he says, 
He brings a prisoner before them and asks whom they had wanted. Verse 17, whom do you want? Verse 21, the governor again said to them, which of the two men do you want? Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. This is what they want. His blood be on us and on our children, it says in verse 25. Jesus' blood must be that of an innocent man. His blood must be innocent blood. He must be guiltless, spotless. Because of what man wants. Because what man naturally wants, every single one of us, including myself, what we naturally want is not God. We want to be king and we want to do our own thing. That's what sin is. We want to do what we want to do. Just like, go make your bed, son. And you don't make your bed. Because you want to be, in that moment, you want to be king and do what you want to do. Or you talk nasty to your wife. Because in that moment, you want to be king, even though the Bible says not to treat your wife like that. You want to be king in that moment. We're all guilty of it. We're all, we're all guilty. We're not innocent. Neither Peter's tears or Judas's remorse or Pilate washing of his hands or any of the good works we do, any of the church attendance we enjoy when we are able to come to church or anything can take away the guilt of our sin. It takes a sinless Savior. Ain't that right, Nick? A sinless Savior to give us the hope of salvation. And Jesus is that Savior. Peter was weeping. But Jesus was still there in the morning. He was crucified on the cross that evening. His lifeless body was in the grave on Saturday. But on Sunday, He came up out of the grave. And one day, He's coming back in power and great glory. What a day it's going to be. Amen. That's why we meet on Sundays together to encourage and exhort one another of that hope and so much more as we see the day drawing near. The day for us is a day of great joy. No more viruses, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more financial strain, no more sin, no more disappointed in one we love. He's coming. And we come and we encourage and exhort one another. Look, you had a hard week. You've been cramped up. You've been cooped up. But there's a day coming, it ain't going to be like that no more, so keep persevering. Don't be like Judas. Keep, keep, keep with Christ. Stay with Him. So let me share two points of application. Remind one another of our hope in Christ. We have hope. We really do. Remind one another. Don't waste your quarantine. Remind one another of your hope in Christ. The worst thing that can happen to you is not the coronavirus. The worst thing that can happen to you, and we say this often, is not going to happen. Period. That may be news to some folks that hear this. The worst thing that can happen to us is not going to happen. 
This is not health and wealth, prosperity, preaching, saying, oh, I declare victory over sickness and victory over coronavirus. Hogwash! If God wants you to get coronavirus, you're going to get it and ain't nothing you can do about it. And there are Christians dying of it. But God said, for those that trust in Jesus and place their faith and trust in Him, the wrath of God is satisfied. Amen? That's what we sung about this morning. The worst that can happen to us is not going to happen. Why? It's called propitiation. It's called the satisfaction of the wrath of God through the once-for-all death of Jesus. His obedience. His fulfillment of God's plan. His innocent blood. Jesus pays it all. Why do we meet together on Sundays? To remind ourselves of that. To remind ourselves it's not all about having our finances all together and having the perfect little family, the perfect little marriage, white picket fence, and all these things, the American dream. It's about Christ. It's about a hope to come. It's riches and glory. So we meet to encourage and exhort one another as we see the day drawing near. And we cannot do that right now. This is not church the way God intended it. I'm having a good time preaching up here, but this is not church the way God intended it. I can't hear my brothers and sisters singing. I can't look over my shoulder as we're singing hymns this morning and see the tear coming down from my sister's eyes, whom I know has been going through a real hard time. Maybe nobody else knows it, but she shared it with me. But she's still here, and she's encouraged and exhorting me by her very presence, by the vo- her hearing her voice or seeing her tears. She's saying, I'm, I'm still believing. I'm still trusting Him. We can't enjoy that this morning. So there's a sense of loss and longing that is appropriate for us to feel. But I want to encourage you, as much as we can over the next few weeks, however long this may last, remind each other of your hope in Christ. Satan will certainly be at work. He is still roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. How can you encourage your brothers and sisters in an intentional way? How are you going to do that over the next three weeks at least? Letters. Phone calls. Some... You know, social media and texting is good, but I mean, sometimes hearing another human voice is what some people need because some people ain't, they're the only one in their house right now for a while. We've got folks in our church like that. Don't forget the folks that are in the nursing home, some of our members, right? Man, this is an opportunity for the church to really be the church. So remind one another of our hope in Christ. I want you to be thinking about that this week. And, And secondly, tell the lost about our hope in Christ. Tell the lost about our hope in Christ. As you interact through social media, as you interact, maybe you'll, you'll need to be in and out and about. Some of you have to go to work. and Tell the lost about our hope in Christ. God's still saving people, folks. This week, there was a man came by to see me I hadn't met before. He'd set up a time to come and meet with me last week. Finally got to meet him for the first time this week. It was on Tuesday while we were, people were voting here at church. And, he didn't come in because of the coronavirus and stuff like that. We didn't even mention it. In fact, he reached out and shook my hand first thing. You know? <laughs> and uh began to talk with him about some issues he was dealing with. And, and I began to I asked him if he was a good person. And he kind of said, well, yeah, I guess. So we went through some of the Ten Commandments. And before it was over, I looked at him and I said, "By his own, so by your own admission, you're a liar. You're a thief. You have anger in your heart towards others. You told me so that makes you a murderer. To look on a woman to lust. 
Makes you an adulterer in God's eyes. So by your own admission, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a murderer, and you're an adulterer at heart. And that's just for the Ten Commandments. And he looked at me like, oh. <laughs> I said, let me ask you a question. Will you be innocent or guilty on the day of judgment? He said, I'll be guilty. I said, does that concern you? He said, yeah, it does. I don't want to go to hell. I'm very careful when I share the gospel with people. I'm very careful about leading somebody to, to pray. Um, but I did ask him, I said, I said, man, is there not any reason right now where you're sitting that you just can't call upon the Lord and ask Him to save you? And he said, no, there's not. I said, what do you want to do? He said, that's what I need to do. That's what I want to do. And we got down on our knees in that conference room back over here, and he called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never can look and see what's really happening in somebody's heart. But I texted him later this week and I said, Man, have you been in the Word? I gave him a Bible. See, some of y'all's tithe money, giving money, so forth. We purchased stuff. I gave him a Bible. It's y'all helped purchase in our church. And I said, Been reading that Bible? I texted him. He texted me back after he got off work and he said, Been reading it every day right with my wife and my mother-in-law. God's still saving people. He's just doing a mighty work. We have hope. So let's tell other people about it. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a closing song and and uh, then Brandon Kite's going to come and close us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the hope we have in Jesus and for what You've done for us. And we love You and thank You. Oh, God, may we just bask in who You are and who Jesus is and so much that we just can't help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard. That we would speak them to one another and speak them to those that have not yet called upon the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we'll sing this closing song together here. My sin
the day when the faith shall be sight the you're here and if you're listening watching whatever and and um, if there's any way we can pray for you something we can do for you i'd like if you're not sure if, if you died you'd go to heaven um i'd love to talk with you about that there's information on our website it's fbcmtc.org fbcmtc.org and be sure and you can find our address there and our i think our phone number and email address and uh, get, be sure and get in contact with us uh, so we can pray with you and, and minister to you